Welcome to the Arrive and Thrive podcast. We are your hosts, Tyson Day and Daniel Lenardi. Our podcast is designed to give you fresh perspectives and educational insights to make sure you thrive in every moment. Regularly, we are joined by thought leaders, life learners, and generally amazing humans who bring an approach just like us, casual, relaxed, and curious. Working for a tech startup and hiring for a tech startup is an entirely different game. In this episode, we sit down with Mitch King, the Talent Acquisition Manager at Linktree and Bolster, and talk about workplace culture, recruitment and hiring, and the importance of respecting the job seeker. Mitch brings an honest account of his recruitment process and some of the critical parts that make up remote workplace culture. We hope you enjoy the episode. Also, Dan and I thought it would be cool to share our pre-podcast chat. To jump straight into the interview with Mitch, go to 3 minutes and 40 seconds. Cheers. Arrive and Thrive would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, leaders past, present and emerging. So, Brah, what are you looking forward to most about speaking to Mitch? Um, there's a lot of things I want to ask him. He, he's, I love his personal brand um, and the posts he does on LinkedIn. Like It's super refreshing and he's got a bit of humour in there. So I want to kind of ask him a little bit about how he started doing you know more of that unique refreshing personal branding yep versus doing the status quo you know recruitment branding what about you yeah i love that that's such a good point i i'm really keen to um speak to him about you know standing out as an applicant for tech startups because this is the first to my knowledge this is probably the first kind of for lack of a better term but like you know, hardcore tech company and tech startup slash scale-up guests that we've probably had. We've had yeah. other different scale-ups which, which have been kind of different, but Linktree in my eyes, like, you know, just the way in which they're progressing, I'm really excited to hear from his perspective, like what he looks for in a standout applicant, um, you know, workplace trends and also workplace culture. Like, cause I don't know that what, link tree and, and what he projects is amazing workplace culture. And I don't know that for sure personally, but having not worked there, but just really interested to kind of get his take on it. And that, that little project that they're working on too, around the project F's program, 50, 50, like the recruitment process to ensure equality and uh, diversity. So I'm yeah, just interested to kind of get his take on that. But to be honest, mate, there's so much I want to ask him. It might get a little bit out of control. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Um, yeah, Linktree, I didn't realise, is one of the fastest growing tech startups in Australia. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I'm also looking forward to asking him about some recruitment trends around COVID-19 with, you know, maybe COVID wrapping up a little bit in 2021 now. I'm excited to ask him what he's seeing, especially yeah. in, the, um, in the recruitment space. Yeah, I love it. And definitely how to stand out on LinkedIn because I think – he nails that. Um, he does, doesn't he? He gets a lot of traction and um, I love, yeah, that authentic, you know, projection that, that he gives on, on LinkedIn. Totally. All right, buddy. Well, let's, let's jump into it. So three, two, one. Dan, super excited about today's guest. Would love to welcome um, Mitch King to our listeners. Mitch, how are you going? Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on the show, mate. Not a problem. Uh, and now, mate, you're calling us from, from sunny Queensland today? Yeah, I've just moved to the Gold Coast. I don't even know the date, to be honest. What, it's March now, so bang on two months ago. I think I um, 
jumped on a plane and sped up the process because I was worried about COVID borders. So it's, I feel like I've been here for six months, but yeah, I think it's two. Yeah, perfect, perfect. And how's your family going with the, the sea change? I know for me personally, I went, I moved actually out of Melbourne to Mornington on the coast of um, Victoria. So for me personally, I'm loving it. But um, how are you guys going? Yeah, I, I can't say anyone's not, not enjoying it. Um, I mean, I know there's no such thing as a healthy tan, but my kids are much browner than they were in, in Melbourne. Uh, constantly outdoors, both of their swimming has like is shot through the roof. Um, I haven't worn anything other than shorts and t-shirts since I moved here. Um, even socks is an encumbrance at the moment. So, um, yeah, it's it's been great for us. It was never really an opportunity that I had until I started working here. So it, it wasn't a too hard a decision, to be honest, but there's definitely parts of Melbourne I miss, but no, for my stage of life, my kids, my family, this is, this is pretty good. Yeah. Cool. Now, mate, for our listeners, you work at Linktree and Bolster. Can you give everyone an insight around what you do there and, and what those two companies are involved in? Sure. So talent acquisition manager, basically means I'm a recruiter, but in-house for those two brands only. So I'm finding and qualifying people um, for when they, and what they need. Um, So Bolster is a digital social creative agency specializing in sort of youth marketing, very well known for music events around Australia. Some of the, the major ones here. And then they had an idea about four or five years ago, Alex was getting annoyed at having to constantly update the links in bios for the artists and events they were promoting. So I've had this idea. They built that idea. They took it to clients. Now, four or five years later, that idea is Linktree and it has 11 million accounts. We grow by about 30,000 a day and our staff numbers are about 60 and, and that's growing pretty rapidly. So it can be, uh, yeah, people who haven't worked in, in recruitment or sort of been through it, it's a, it's a sort of a strange job, an idea of like you need someone full-time just to look at hiring. Um, but once you look at that consistent volume of hiring, yeah, it's, um, it's actually myself, one other, and then we'll probably grow the hiring team to three or four because we have that much stuff to do. Mm, that's incredible, mate. And so how did it all start in terms of your journey of jumping into recruitment and then talent acquisition? There's very rarely that I've heard someone get into recruitment where it was like, I've always planned this, you know, <laughs> it was always this dream of mine to, to be a recruiter, um, unless it was in their family, um, to be honest. So in high school, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, just went into working full time. Uh, it was my first job, legal clerk, mailroom boy, that sort of stuff, got into admin. I uh, did some study in marketing and while I was looking for marketing junior roles, I uh, found this job. It was recruiting in the creative space and they set the job criteria to, to hit marketers and that was it. So I worked for that company for 12 years, um, started in Sydney, moved to Melbourne for a bit, left there at the start of 2020 and then got straight into a contract with bolster and Linktree, and i've been here for just under a year now yeah awesome now dan i know you're uh sitting on some amazing questions mate. i can feel the energy coming through the uh the zoom call what would you like to uh lead with buddy um what am i going to lead with so i guess 
what really stood out to me, Mitch, is your own personal brand. Um, and I discovered you on LinkedIn. Um, and I just love the way you come up with fresh ideas, unique perspectives on recruitment and life. And it really shows like your authentic self. And I guess my first question is, you know, was there a shift for you when you were on LinkedIn and you thought, you know what, I'm going to go this way now. Um, so can you talk us through that process and then any tips you might have for other people that are on LinkedIn and how to sort of stand out from that authentic yeah. standpoint? Yeah, thanks. Um, I think there, there was, I, I, I can't remember the, you know, the exact moment or how long ago it was. Um, but I think I was on LinkedIn and as recruiters, we use LinkedIn a lot. It, it's a platform for how we try to find people. Um, it has a lot of negativity around it in sort of the cliches of people that are on there. Um, so I think I was reading through and I, I kept seeing the same stuff over and over again. Um, the 5am clubs, you know, you got to get up, you got to hustle, you got to grind. Um, only the success stories. And it on Linktree, I'm sorry, on LinkedIn, seeing someone post about they've just broken a record in sales or they've just got a promotion or they've won an award. And if that's all you consistently see, the people who aren't currently experiencing that success, it's no different to say negative body image from only seeing models on Instagram, but it's just more career focused. Um, now I'm an introvert. So when it comes to networking in conferences in public, I know I don't, the typical, the stereotypical recruitment personality type is extrovert and sales. Um, so I've been fighting against that um, for the whole career, but <laughs> I thought if I can't be the most charming person in the room, uh, I might try to be just myself on this network and just see where that goes. Um, and then just in, in general, there's a point in life. Again, I don't know what point it was. I think maybe when I had kids that I sort of stopped fearing what other people might think um, because you know you can't please everyone and so don't try to and just I'll just put some stuff out there that I think is you know real and an actual and it I mean for me it has worked in it's actually how I got the job at Linktree mm. um, so yes I, I do a lot of content and I'm active on LinkedIn because it's my job so I might tell people that you know, that's how I got the job and I could understand how they would go. Yeah, but I don't have the, the time for that. And I don't think you need to be posting super regularly or have, uh, you say personal brand. It's fine. I've never looked at it as a personal brand, but I do, I understand that. Uh, but just sort of being active on there and building familiarity with other people, expanding on your small network. Um, it, it's so common. That's how people get jobs. I could give you a hundred stories of how other people have got jobs using either LinkedIn or some other method other than applying for a job on the job board. Yeah. Well, we know the stats are 70% of jobs are filled through networks. So it's always refreshing to hear the real life stories of that. How did your job at Linktree eventuate from LinkedIn? So when I left my last job, I, I purposely wanted to do it in a set order of, um, give my notice and have an open-ended notice so I could, you know, allow them to find replacements and do handovers. And then I posted on LinkedIn that I was leaving and um, I was looking for opportunities. 
And one of the founders of Bolster and Linktree saw that post and sent me a message. And then here I am. So that, that was, I mean, part of the reason I did, I started posting content. There was a few different reasons for originally as a recruiter, if I can improve my network and uh, what I would call from a marketing perspective, top of funnel awareness. So if I try to reach out to someone, they're like, I know who this guy is. Acceptance rates are much higher. Um, Then from my own personal perspective, I thought if, and when I'm looking for a job again, I want that as well. I want someone to go, I sort of know who this guy is. Yes. Other than just, he's a CV. Um, In particular, I was probably aware that I didn't want to continue on in the same career that I'd, I'd done. I purposely set to not be agency recruitment manager next. And I know that's not easy. Career changes, you guys probably deal with a lot. Career changes aren't easy. Um, so, yeah, that, that's how it all sort of flowed into to that. So having an engaged audience, if you want to get into the sort of technical speak, somebody liking it. And if I had the data, you could probably pinpoint it to, there was one specific person that liked it that brought it into Anthony's feed. And then he saw my profile and sent me a message. So it's, it only took one person, but I don't know who, who that one person was. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? This new world of work with um, online networking and stuff. Can I ask you one more question? Do you, how, much hour, how many hours a week do you put into your content and how do you come up with your ideas? Because, gee, you come up with some good ones on there. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I don't want to fuel anyone's um, anxiety about how much time they're spending on their content but I probably spend about 15 minutes a week um, on it. I, the, I guess the positive of me coming up with these random ideas, I'll offset that by saying my brain is very um, chaotic. So yes, these random things come up and people say, oh, it's really original. Where'd you think of that? I have no idea because my brain's never on one linear topic. (laughs) You know, so um, I've sort of just, come up with a way that when I think of something, I just capture it. I use notion at the moment and I just bang an idea in there. And then sometimes the actual post you'll see will be months after that initial idea came to me. Um, I, I really like analogies. I don't know why. Um, so sometimes I think of an analogy and go, I've, this reminds me of something else that I've done. I look at that list and go, yeah, that's a post. But sometimes it's just, I wake up in the morning and I've had this idea and I write it and, yeah, so I'm quick, but I'm not um, not structured. Mm. Do you think it's more time efficient and easier to come up with those sort of epiphanies and perspectives because you are, in a way, not giving a shit if anyone likes it? You're just thinking, this is what I'm thinking. I'm going to put it out there. This is authentically me, and that's it. I think so. I think it's just, this is what I'm thinking. And um, I guess the, the perspective that I'm trying and I'm at the moment sort of pushing this a bit further is a lot of recruitment processes and whether that's agency or direct to client, they're broken. And I was a job seeker at the start of last year. So I'm talking about that from all three sides of the, what do you say? Three sides of the coin? The triangle, let's say. The triangle, the three <laughs> sides of the triangle. There you go. It's a weird coin <laughs> if it's got three sides, but um, yeah, just no one, no one was sort of, well, no one that I was seeing or, you know, I wasn't actively looking for it. It's just having that conversation and going, as a hirer, this is what I want. And as a recruiter, this is what I want. And as a job seeker, this is what I want. But have the conversation together. 
So yeah, I think if it was if someone was out there as a content writer and they're looking at a particular brief and audience and that sort of thing, whereas I'm just trying to yeah put some conversation starters out there, education out there, because um, I've had so many conversations with people who didn't understand what a recruiter did, particularly at the early stages of their career. The first time you hear like we're a recruiter, it it doesn't make a lot of sense, and I understand that. Mate, I'd love to hear your perspective around bringing talent into the businesses. Like, do you look for those similar characteristics within the people that you're bringing into to Linktree and Bolster around the authenticity and their, I suppose, identity capital that they're, they're bringing? Um, identity capital. That's a that's a good term. What does that mean? I haven't so, heard that one yet either. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's from a book that I'm reading at the moment um, around the individuals capitalizing on their their 20s and developing i suppose human capital or identity capital so things like experiences education um unique volunteering opportunities internships whatever um in terms of what we're looking for for linktree so when i started at linktree there was 18 people and but the numbers behind us in terms of how fast we were growing and where we were headed i think what sort of you not maybe unique other startups go through the same thing but maybe what's different to say you know a, a big corporate organization is uh, i think the analogy that's used here is we're, we're building the plane engine while we're flying the plane what we're sort of looking for in like not any particular order um collaboration like so many of our roles that we have in the team now people are doing things that are very outside of what their remit would be in another company and that empathy and understanding where the business is and sort of coming in and saying, okay, as a recruiter, where's the statistics? What have you got? What have you done before? Where's your advertising templates, et cetera, et cetera. Most of the time the answer is we haven't done that before. If that makes that person uneasy or uncomfortable, it's just not the right dynamic for them. Um, in terms of that, what was the term again? Identity capital. Identity capital and some of the stuff I see out there in, you know, this is how you stand out in the market and how you get a job. There's a lot of good things there, but there isn't one answer because what I look for, what Linktree looks for, and and I'm trying not to look at it and just, this is what I like. This is what fits in the business. This is what fits with the personalities across the business and the team will be very, very different to the next company. You know, so, and, and they might, they might have a tool that measures, um, that capital I'm sort of a lot more okay this is the company situation this is where we're heading do you fit that can you do this what else can you do um, I, I measure a lot on the more um, hard to measure uh, qualities metrics like this person's EQ mm-hmm. and that sort of thing I don't, I don't want to give away too many secrets on, on how we sort of do that because if someone hears this and apply for a job at you know at Linktree and they, they change their approach to try to to trick my internal measuring mechanisms, um, but yeah, I don't think it would make sense for a rapidly growing startup like Linktree to have these highly formulated um, structures, processes around talent management. It, it, we're not Google, you know, so we shouldn't try to copy how they do it. I really like that approach and and that insight because it's like the way I see that is it's almost like going, okay, well, what do we need next? As you're saying, the, we're trying to fly the plane while we're building it. So 
what do we need right in this moment? Okay, how is that going to help the future projection as well? It's really cool insight. Yeah, I think there's a few people in the company. I, I might have been an example of that where my role prior to this was um, very management focused. And uh, actually, one of the reasons I left, I didn't enjoy that as much as I did doing the actual stuff. But bringing me on to do the talent management, and then as we get bigger and we need to scale, I can manage more people and do it that way. So there's current needs, future needs. Um, it's been common where we'll get people in senior roles where at the start, they're very hands-on, maybe more hands-on than they were previously. And then as they sort of get out of the weeds and they sort of grow a team, their role adapts. And what's appealed to a lot of those seniors is they get to build the structures as opposed to inherit them. Mm-hmm. So smart, frustrated people has been a common pattern that I've looked for um, at Linktree. You know, they're at a company, speaking to someone recently and it's a very well-known company and they seemed like a genius. You speak to them about what they do. They were so good at sort of articulation, but what they were frustrated by was the tiers and international layers of processes they have to go to get even the smallest things done. Someone who's that, you know, intelligent, that engaged and that motivated, it, it just drains them. Mm. They want to see results, you know, they, they want to, um, they want to make a difference in their role in their company. Do you see that as a big theme for people making the move from say an established corporation to a startup or scale up? Yeah. I think there's some people that come to us and they, they think they want to work at a startup and we've got to sort of qualify like, what is it that you think you're going to like about this? And we've actually had a couple of people um, early on who think, everyone being honest, it wasn't the right move for them. One even said, I thought this is what I wanted, but it's not, I'd love to come back here in about two or three years time. Mm. You know, so we, we learned from that. Um, some of it is, it's very much, it is born out of that frustration. Um, but sometimes without enough real qualification of what life in a startup will be like and self-awareness of what that person does. And, Let's say, for example, going an interview process or you're having a first interview and someone says, yeah, this all sounds great. What's the five-year growth plan for this role? It's like, as a company, we're not five years old. This mm. job didn't exist two weeks ago. We've <laughs> never had anyone here. You know, we have quadrupled in size. Like, we don't have that clear roadmap. Yeah. Like, we have a product roadmap. And from a hiring perspective, we're reviewing and looking now, for me, in this this culture, in this environment, it I'm totally fine with that. I, I don't need, I've never had a career plan. So what's happening next year, that's fine with me. I, I'm, I concentrate more on the people, the culture. That, that's what, you know, I look for. Um, so there's, there's little things like that where you can go, I, I think you think this is grass is greener. But once you get here, you're actually just going to develop a different set of frustrations. <laughs> Are these the conversations you would have, Mitch, with candidates? Like, obviously, you're bringing that authenticity in your personal brand. Do you approach the application and the recruitment process from that standpoint too? Yeah. I just don't believe in the theatrics. I don't believe in the 
behind the curtains and we're seeing this, if, if, if there's someone who's really good and there's just one glaringly obvious concern in the politest way possible, I'm going to say, I don't believe in the theatrics and the curtains. So this is what I'm worried about. Give me your answer. And I think I can understand how that is daunting to have the conversation. And this is where, you know, if I'm being interviewed and they find your strengths and weaknesses, one of my major weaknesses is I'm really bad at faking interest or, you know, like having a, you're at a barbecue and that torture bloke comes up to you and I just like, I can't do it. It, it like drains every essence of my soul to have that conversation <laughs> with that bloke. <laughs> What's your um, diversion tactic? Oh, politeness, nod, skull the beer and go get another one. You know, like um, I'm out of beer or I think I just heard my kid cry or, or something like that. Like because I'm introverted, you know, I'm not the most social of, of people. I'm um, sort of comedian once referred to the same thing and he's like, I'm basically like a cat, you know, he goes off and hides while his wife's, um, you know, speaking to people. Um, with people I like, it's, it's no problem. Um, but it's the same in, in interview processes or in anything really. I just, I believe you have to say things in a polite way and explain, not just be rude, but I, I can't really recall any situation where I've said something like that and someone hasn't taken it well or just said, listen, I really appreciate you saying that or giving mm. me some feedback. Mm. You know, like, mm. I don't know what the dance is. Like, mm do this dance and someone's faking something and you get into the company and how long can you keep that charade up? Like lay it all out. This is the information that I'm giving you and you're giving me don't make life hard for each other. That's, that's a really cool point. Um, just from the other angle too, like when we, I suppose when I've spoken to clients and I've gone, I oh, had the interview go and they go, yeah, it went really well. Like, you know, there was flowed nicely, got along really well. Um, and then we find out that they, didn't get the job and it's like we always ask oh hey can you grab some direct feedback on why you didn't necessarily get the job and it's like in many cases they never actually understand the specifics or it's kind of loosely thrown around oh it was an experience thing um or you know oh it was a um you know that uh, there was a gap on your resume or whatever it was um it's like i love that approach of just being like well hey you know this is exactly why this is the reason these are my concerns what are your thoughts it's so refreshing, yeah. man, I feel. It's almost, you say refreshing and okay, it's different. And because I'm stubborn and the way I was taught to do sort of recruitment, it's like, I, I don't get this. Like, I don't want to call these people up and, and push them into jobs because if it doesn't work, if I'm not telling the truth, they're going to fall out and I have to replace them. Yeah. You know? So <clears throat> I, I think one way I look at that and I'm not a huge fan of data in recruitment in in terms of how it's measured i see in talent communities and there's definitely a time and place for it but you know key metrics is time to hire i don't don't know why that's what you're looking for like measure how good is this person at their job in our company Mm. the one thing i measure is if i reject someone for a role and they refer someone to me after that that's a that's a success measure for me because that candidate experience and then I'm accessing their network. Mm. So purely by being respectful and polite to people's sort of time, emotions, job searching is like 
one of the more stressful things you know people can do particularly when they don't have a job and they have you know commitments and bills and that sort of thing so just being respectful of their time you build up advocacy mm. and then you've got people sending you good people cvs it's like this i put a really good cv in front of a hiring manager today which makes me look good just because i was honest with someone mm-hmm. so part of me is like don't tell them all the secrets because everyone else will do it. Part of me is like the whole thing needs to change for 90% of companies and agencies. So good. Cause even when I was applying, I'm, I'm still waiting to hear back from a job I interviewed for last year. I'm, I'm still wondering if I'm in the mix. <laughs> tempted to give them a shout out to be honest, but uh, you know, these things, these things pan out um, in the best way possible. I'm glad I didn't get that job. Uh, well, I think I didn't. I hope I'm not supposed to be there, but um yeah, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's revolutionary, but for some reason, it's not common. Mm-hmm. You seem like you're really passionate, Mitch, about that crossover of candidate, um, client, and then recruiter. Um, and I guess, what trends do you see happening in recruitment um, in that space? Um, I've sort of I think I've posted about it. Yeah recently I've been speaking to people about for a while, the contingency model of recruitment. So for anyone who's not a recruiter, hasn't heard the term, most recruitment agencies work on the, you get a job from a client and if you place that job, you charge them a fee. If you don't, you don't charge them anything. And it's really common for clients to work with multiple recruiters at any one time. And this to me fuels most of the bad habits of recruitment going into those metrics, you see the KPIs behind the scenes if you are a recruiter and you open up to a candidate. So uh, it's very common for recruiters to have a KPI on them of how many CVs they present within 24 hours of getting a job brief. The result of that is usually four or five totally off-mark CVs in order for their ATS, the applicant tracking system CRM they use, to show that they presented five CVs in that time to please the managers and show that, you know, it's all very driven by sales. Very few recruitment agencies. And if I was a client looking for recruitment agencies, the sort of questions I'd ask is how do you measure the quality of the candidates you present? I don't care how many, I don't care how quickly within reason. Most of the time you go to an agency, it's because you're out of time, but, um, uh, some of those, the changes, like I'm seeing some of the recruiters that I think are doing it better have found different models. Uh, retained exclusive recruitment isn't a new thing. Some are doing it in more of like an implanted sort of model. So they might spend some time on site with the, the client. Um, and I think in general, there's been a, probably a bit of an increase in roles like I'm doing talent acquisition for a company. Um and even the people sort of breaking away from their agencies and doing it themselves and being, and having the freedom to go, you can pay me a day rate. You can have an engagement. If I was going to use a, an agency for a role, I'd want them to sort of run that process end to end, get all the CVs post who the company is they're recruiting for. You know, so yeah, I, I, I think, it stems back, if you go back in the, the history of, of recruitment, it's basically born out of sales. Means that, that once you get into the nuances of processes, qualifying candidates, candidate experience, they're not 
as trained for that most of the time. So if you're going to sort of, you know, scrap it all and start again, you'd have someone dedicated to the sales side and introducing your brand to clients. But then the, the actual recruiters would be very focused on candidate networking processes, qualification, and not spending half their day doing cold calls. And I think that would all flow into, you know, better candidate experiences, mental health. Uh, you know, I just think people looking for jobs, which happens all the time, a little bit of better process would improve people's mental health in general. Mm. Not sure how much we can swear in here, but don't be dickheads. And, you know, people will thank you for it. I think that ties nicely into this notion of um, creating a sense of belonging in like workplace culture. From your perspective, what are some of the, the, I suppose the, without giving away all your trade secrets, the notion of building a nice workplace culture and, and for some of our listeners who perhaps are a part of like a difficult culture, what are some things that you think they could potentially do to, to kind of curve that or to try and, you know, start a new, not resistance, but like a new breath of fresh air within their business or company? Yeah, I think it's, there's a lot of sort of um, caveats to that. So with us, when I started at, at Linktree, it was just when COVID hit. So I've never actually worked a day in an office of, of Linktree. Um, and we hired and scaled out. Most of those hires um, started, all of those hires after me started remotely. So remote working cultures versus, I guess, the more traditional ones, there's a lot of differences there in how you can have, um, I guess, positive, inclusive um, cultures. Is I, let's be honest, if there was someone at Linktree, I 100% don't believe that there is. If there was someone who was toxic to the culture, they're not walking past my desk and saying something, you know, offensive to me at any point. It's all, you know, Slack and Zooms and... So that's a, that's a big shift for a lot of companies who weren't sort of remote. Some of the things we've looked to to bring in to build that out, and again, we'll say Linktree is not 100% perfect yet because we're still at the start of this, um, this journey or this sort of change. But bringing in education to some of the pieces that are important to people around inclusivity. So um, neurodiversity training was one of the first that we did. So we had an external speaker from, I think it was Autism Australia and speak to us about what it's like for neurodiverse people in the workplace and the differences between it. And it was, you know, it's really eye-opening. It's, um, they use an example of, I'd say to Tyson, go print this out for me. That's how you'd normally talk. It's someone on the um, ASD with, on the spectrum they need more specific information. So go to level two, the printer next to the vending machine, print one page of this in black and white, and then bring it back to me on my desk. And it was just that sort of education awareness. You know, a lot of us haven't been taught that. You know, we're, we're, we're taught Pythagoras theory in, in school, but no one sort of teaches you, well, not that I'm aware of, about workplace culture and what it means to be respectful and and hear other people um so neurodiversity training we did one recently um what am i giving him a plug actually his name's john biggs um john biggs does indigenous cultural awareness training mm. uh, so he ran a two-hour session with us and i guess what i liked about it is it's not you know it's fluffy stuff 
it's John speaking about his experiences in being part of the stolen generation, things in Australian law that were fairly recent that for anyone with half a conscience makes you think, right, now that I'm a bit more aware of this, I would like to be part of, I can't fix what's happened, but I'd like to improve it sort of moving forward. Um, so I think in general, if you are in a position where you've got some element of power, going out and just asking the people in your company, what's wrong? What can we do better? I think most people are scared of, of having that conversation, particularly managers who think it, they're going to be complaints about you know, themselves. Yeah. Um, and then if you're not in that position of power and just sort of being proactive with not making complaints, but offering up um, ideas or solutions. So I don't like that our company doesn't do this. Okay, that, that's a fair frustration, but it doesn't help fix it. It's like, I don't like that our company doesn't do this. Would you be open to this idea? And, and sort of taking it from there. But I think one of the good things that came out of 2020 was I think diversity and inclusion has really increased in a lot of companies' um, priorities. Um, you know, shout out to Gen Z and the millennials. I think they're making a difference. Like they they won't work for the companies that don't have those values. Mm. And a lot of those companies need their skill sets. Cause I don't know about you guys, but I can barely figure out TikTok. And I know there's a lot of people using it. So if I want to market to it, you know, we need someone who really understands it, who lives in that sort of community. Mm. But if, if you don't, you know, share their values, uh, and this sort of flows into what's what's sort of changed in job markets and generationally, and this is very stereotypical. I, I don't like, you know, putting everyone in the same basket, but um, they, the stereotypical Gen Z millennial, they have that, um, their values and beliefs much higher up their priority order in job hunting than, I don't even know what generation I am, to be honest. What am Z- I, Gen X? Would you be Jet X or? Gen Y. Gen y. Born in 83. I don't know. Um, or boomers, you know, above us. And, and I've, I've, there's been sort of shifts in that steadily for the past, you know, five or 10 years, but um, they've probably been one of the bigger leaps in, in that. So if you're an employer not listening to what they're saying, then that's why it's going to be hard for you to, to find these people. This is why if you offer a lot of positions and miss out a lot, I think you need to measure that in your sort of, um, recruitment metrics how many turn down offers do you have and then get their feedback and if you don't get feedback from them but you don't give feedback to candidates that you reject you don't deserve it you don't get it so you know sort of getting people to sort of open their eyes a bit and see outside of their one lane you know and just having the conversations asking the questions if it comes to we've got international women's day on, on monday as a straight white male, you know, it's not that I don't have an opinion on it because of, you know, I definitely have an opinion. I think it's definitely not a level playing field for, for men and women, definitely in Australia, but just ask the question, just what are we doing? Well, what, what could we do better? You know, how can we improve? And then just listen, don't talk over them, please. Um, but yeah, asking questions and listening can solve a lot of problems. Mm. it's that level of curiosity isn't it it's about being you know i love that question you know what can we do better yeah dropping the ego dropping the like Mm. 
how we're doing it is the best way possible because I put that in place. Just being sort of um, brave enough to hear the negative feedback and go, okay, thanks. Mm. Let me try to fix it. Mm. Mitch, there's obviously always trends and evolution in everything and like recruitment and workplace is no different. Do you get a sense that at this time, 2020, 2021, do you think it's really starting to become a lot more rapid in the, the quickness that it is changing? Um, I, I think like definitely last year was because of, you know, because of COVID and, you know, I don't think any of us had experienced a, a pandemic um, before and just some of the, not just everyone sort of defaults to remote working. Like, please, if you're listening to this and you're on LinkedIn, don't do another poll on, do you want to work from home? Clap hands. If you want to work from home two days a week, like we've seen it. No one gives a shit anymore. It's that, that was sort of one thing, but then what I, other things that I saw that wasn't so public spoken about the companies that had to make redundancies and let people go and how they did that. Like some absolute horror stories. The, the if you get an invite to this zoom tomorrow, that means you're getting sacked. And so, okay. So do you not think that's going to sort of carry on through those 700 people and their network? So the, some people sort of come back, I guess the trends that sort of changed besides remote working opportunities was I hadn't often had questions before about what's the commercial viability of this product or startup. Are you COVID proof? Things, so we've been looking at things differently, you know, um, I, I doubt anyone in the aviation industry ever sort of thought it was going to be hit that hard by something. And then all of a sudden it's just on its knees. So people are starting to look sort of, okay, where do, what is this company now? But what is it going to be in the future? And is this the good sector for, you know, my career? I think people start to look a little bit further in advance. Um, but yeah, many sort of then, if they'd been through a negative experience, it changed their um, criteria for their next company. Mm. You know, so I get asked a lot, how did we react to COVID and our approach? And, Luckily, I've got, you know, the answers of being in Melbourne last year, got a, my boy was five, daughter was two, wife was doing most of the homeschooling. And this, it wasn't fun. I don't know if you guys are in the same situation, but it wasn't a lot of fun in COVID. The founders just came to us one team meeting and said, you've got next Friday off and then two Fridays after that off as well. Do what you want. Maybe send us a picture of what you did to like reset and not work. Seems I mean, it's very generous and it seems simple, but the people in the business or who got to experience that, particularly, I think the ones, you know, with, with kids or doing the homeschooling at the same time, it like, it's so impactful, you know? And so me being able to tell that story to, to people when I get asked that question and not have to, you know, make it up or like, yeah, we, we sent fruit boxes or I don't know, whatever it was, mm-hmm. it's, and it shows, and that, that came from them. That came from the founders to go, this is how we're going to make sure our staff are um, happy and, you know, engaged. So, yeah, that, that sort of priority order, I think, has shifted a bit more from um, title and company name mm. and salary. Mm. Just to add on to that, a, a client I'm working with, his business um, 
the company he works for in the States, actually, they, by 2022, they want to introduce just a four day work week and have one day purely for passion projects. Um, which I think is a really cool model, um, which are hopefully, as you were saying, like yeah, seeing these types of things come to the surface more in the mainstream within Australian business culture I'd, is something I would love to see. Yeah, I think it's it's a flow on effect. So uh, again, Linktree has been really good with flexibility. Um, and I think flexibility used to be, can I work from home sometimes? Flexibility here and the, the examples I give in, um, guy on an engineering team who pretty much every day will announce in Slack that he's taking a, a break in the early afternoon to spend time with his daughter. Uh, yesterday afternoon at 2.30, I went to pick up my son, bring him back. It, no one blinks an eye. Mm. Like the, that mindset of we trust you to do the work, we're all very clear on what needs to be done. And I really think you've, you, you've, you're an idiot if you get that flexibility and you take advantage of it, mm. you know? So if you miss, if you get pushed out of an opportunity or a situation like that, you've got no one else to blame. But if someone, let's just say Linktree, and I know we're not the only one, there's some companies doing a really good job of this, but if all the other companies constantly miss out on good talent because of that factor, they'll be forced into the adaptation of it. So we're still at the sort of earlier stages of it. I'm starting to see some companies open up, you know, hubs in in different areas and and go to those four day working weeks and that sort of thing there's some industries that are that you know it's hard to be in the retail industry and work four days a week or from home you know that's just not how it works but for a lot of us in you know these sorts of sectors um that value on balance has again risen much higher up the chain for the, the majority mm-hmm. Really fascinating space, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, if you go back to look through history, remember there was a while ago where everyone thought open plan offices were the, the good idea? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you sort of stop working one and go, my God, this is, I thought I was productive at times. <laughs> it's embarrassing how much more I get done because, and I'm really honest about this, it's not other people distracting me, it's me distracting them. Mm-hmm. So, and I used to cop so much of it in the last company, like, and I was the manager and like, can you stop talking to us? Like we're trying to work. So yeah, these things sort of shift and change. And some, I've found it interesting how some companies have dug the heels in and gone, Dan Andrews has said, yes, yeah, so everyone back in the office straight away. People are like, oh, really? Cause I've been doing a lot more work in this situation. And now you want me to get on a train for an hour so you <laughs> i'm getting their cvs put it that way mm. yeah yeah you know, what, I'm so, hearing is, what i'm hearing as well mitch is a lot of the um top graduate talent now is and and when i say the top like the, you know maybe the top 20 percent of grad talent they're getting a choice almost of where they go and then they're picking now based on some of these value alignments impact mm. alignments um and that flexibility versus job title and working at one, maybe one of the big fours or working at a bigger name yeah. company, they're saying, no, wait a sec, I'll actually choose going to work for like a link tree or a, a, another tech startup that's on the up. Yeah. It's got maybe a bit more of a fresh, innovative approach. And then that's a domino effect then of the other companies not doing that, that are going to eventually say, well, 
we're not getting the talent. So we need to now evolve with it. Otherwise, we're going to get left behind. Yeah. And it's, it's cyclical because in 12 months' time, they'll review their, their hiring data and go, we had 38% of offers rejected. And we had someone start recently who turned down another offer because although they were flexible, they wanted them in the office, I think, three days a week as a set where their preference was to just, a, they don't mind being in the office, but not that frequently. And to be honest, I'd be the same now. Like if you gave me sort of two options for, um, for roles and one was three days a week in the office and the other was five, five was paying less. Now, th- these factors are sort of going to be different to people in, in their salaries. And, you know, you want to work at big four for a hundred grand, five days a week in the office, or do you want to work at a startup? Um, only in the office occasionally for 80 grand. Mm. Like and the financial the decision comes into it too, because you've got commute costs, you've got time yeah. costs, you got... Yeah. yeah. So the, the actual, you know, out of your bank account commute costs, but then I don't see people do this a lot. And my previous bosses actually sort of told me to do this. Break down your earnings per hour and then calculate that into your commute time. And go, this commute time is... $38. Mm. So if I wake up now, this is my son's room in an Airbnb. <laughs> it's not glamorous, but you know, it doesn't take me long to get here. Um, I, I can just start work straight away. So the, the flow on effect for the employee is I've now have compared to some jobs I've had uh, in Sydney, it was about two and a half hours a day. I have two and a half hours a day. So quick maths, what's that? 12 and a half hours a week or something like that. Mm. Um, of time with my kids to, you know, time that I could go to a gym. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, yeah, so then because I'm given that when I am working, I'm so much more engaged. I don't have that. Geez, is it, is it lunchtime yet? Is it, mm. is it five o'clock yet? You know, if I'm ever feeling like I'm that sort of drained, just stop and take a break mm. and then get back onto it later. Mm. Uh, but even that, like, even if you're out at an office and you're like, I just, I just need half an hour. I didn't have a good night's sleep. Mm. If I can have a nap, I'll be good. But that anxiety of people are watching me. I'm not at mm. my desk. My boss is a clock watcher. Um, they're going to think I'm lazy. Mm. You know, it, it, it changes so many little things that people don't think about besides the in-office culture and i i think it's totally um possible and i I believe at linktree we have a strong remote culture we have some people in the office but i have like genuine friendships with these people who i've never met and they're in different states and countries Mm. it's it's possible it's just you haven't done it before so don't you know don't say you can't do it until you've actually given it a proper try Mm. Yeah, I second that too, Mitch, because I started my new job um, in May last year and I've been working remote for, what, nine months and I haven't met half my team, but I've, you know, speak to them every day or two on online and you do start to think, well, this is, obviously meeting face-to-face is better, but why can't this work as well? Yeah, and I think if people or the bosses of the companies who are against remote working, they they only look at the negatives of remote working. They don't look at the negatives of old school in office working. Mm. I truly believe that one of the reasons we have such consistently good relationships at Linktree is because we don't spend 40 hours a week with each other in an office. I've never thought that was a good idea. 
Mm. Like that was more time than I was spending with my wife and my kids. And, and like I chose, you know, my wife chose each other in a corporate, in a company environment. It's usually just a collection of random people once you boil it down and just spending 40 hours a week, like someone's going to annoy someone yeah. for, for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've got a long list of people that have annoyed me for different reasons. Um, in offices, I could bring out that thick book if you want it, but <laughs> it, it's just, yeah. Like, I don't think we were meant, I don't think we were designed to, to do that, to spend that much time with each other. And then if you can go back to sort of open plan working when a lot of people and particularly depending on the nature of the work they do, a lot of engineers, you know, it, it's not good. They're trying to concentrate. They're solving really sort of complex problems and you've got, you know, Barry from accounts telling a story from the weekends in their <laughs> ear. It's like, no wonder, you know, noise cancelling headphones do well. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's not conducive to productivity. I don't think. Mm. Mitch, can I bring you back to the, um, the interview process and the job application process? So being as the recruiter and the talent acquisition manager, do you have any tips for people starting out in their career around how to approach engaging with a recruiter and then, how to approach, you know, the interview process, like some hot tips or approaches or mindsets or little things that you notice in candidates that stand out from, from the rest. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, if, you, if you're talking particularly people starting their career, but the general rule of thumb is if you're a junior, most recruiters won't be helpful to you. Um, the typical recruitment companies won't get many junior opportunities because clients come to them when they can't find something. So I recommend people be more proactive in actually just even spending some time thinking what, what would I really like to do? If I want to work in finance, then start approaching those companies. And I think a common mistake is people just go, I want to go straight to the big fintechs first. If you went straight to the sort of the smaller startup, the, you know, offshoot to them, get six, 12 months experience there, you're going to be a lot more appealing to that fintech then. And it might, you might have spent the whole six to 12 months just applying to those fintechs and, you know, it's fruitless. Um, so I think being proactive is sort of one way. If you're at a more sort of senior level um, or, you know, you, you've got a couple of years in your belt and want to approach a recruiter, I think just, again, be honest and be clear with them. This is my situation. This is the type of thing I'm interested in. Um, do you think you could, you know, am I the sort of fit for the types of roles and, and clients that you have? Uh, but also measure them back. If they don't respond to you, then don't respond to them six months later when they find you on the database. You know, like candidates, it's hard because they need a job. They want a job. They don't understand. They actually do have a fair bit of control and power in this dynamic as well, because recruiters can't make money if they don't have candidates. So if you don't engage with the bad ones, they'll die out, you know? So um, I think that that engaging with recruiters is, that might be another whole show. <laughs> I think for, for you guys, but in, I think what stands out to people in interview processes as a general rule of thumb. And again, I think you need to be mindful that there is no one formula. There is no one process that everyone uses. I think research and preparation is probably the most common mistake that people don't do enough of. So I, I know there's a lot of people don't like the question being asked. Um, why do you want to work for us? So I don't ask it because 
you know, it, it's fair. It's like approaching someone and say, why do you want to date me? It's like, <laughs> well, I've just met you, you know, <laughs> I don't know yet. But if you say, what, what do you know about us? What do you know about Linktree? Like if someone says, I don't know, and, and I'm talking from a perspective of this isn't me cold calling and headhunting someone. This is someone who's applied for a job. I've sent them a link and they've scheduled a time in my diary for probably a few days later or a week later. And I know people are busy. Got kids, got second jobs, but you've got five minutes to go to the website, to Google, to do something. Like, even if you give me the bare minimum, okay, you've made an effort, but the people who make zero effort, it, it's such a turnoff. Like, you just you want a job, you don't want to work here specifically. Mm-hmm. People who can articulate the, the reason why they want to work for that company and, and it's valid. You know, I want to work at Linktree because the the work they did and around Black Lives Matters and that platform and what it's capable of doing for those types of purposes. That's good. I want to work for a cool startup. Okay, why? And I'm going to, I'm sorry, but I'm going to ask you the question and I'm going to keep saying why until we sort of get to the bottom of it because I need to know what your drivers are. I think people often don't even start with that. They don't know what their own drivers are. They're just so geared to, I want a job and I want a salary and that company looks good. If I say to you guys, what's your dream company to work for? And if I surveyed a hundred people, 60% will say Nike. Mm. Okay. But why? It's fair enough to like their products, but like, why do you want to work at that company? Um, So people sort of, yeah, researching and preparing even understanding themselves research the company research the people that you're interviewing with it's really obvious a lot of the time when people have done that and yeah give you several examples with people we've hired and that's what made them stand out and maybe it's even just showing they understood our product Mm. you know depending on what their role was but it wasn't just surface level you know it was interviewed someone for a role recently and they first interview came back and said, um, I saw this in your terms and conditions, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, yeah, I've got a good feeling, you know, <laughs> about you because of how you've approached this process. And I believe that would be reflected in how you would approach processes when working for this company. Mm-hmm. Um, so mate, a question that we ask all of our guests when they come on the show is any books or resources or documentaries that you've recently tuned into that you feel our listeners could plug into in this day and age around some of the stuff we've spoken about? Yeah. I don't know if they're going to be maybe typical to what other guests have <laughs> have said. I'm not a huge reader of uh, life help uh, self. I don't know what you call them. I've read a couple. Um, the ones that really changed things for me more recently, I actually read it during COVID last year was the happiest man on earth by Eddie Jaku. Yeah. Good book. That really kicked me out of feeling sort of sorry for myself in, in what was a bad situation, but you know, I had a good job, I had family, nice sort of house and just sort of going, this guy had one of the worst, you know, first 20, 30 years of his life. And when you, I guess the audio book did a good job because the narrator really mm. felt like it was Eddie. Um, the positivity, and I've seen him in interviews, is like that really shifted me. Mm. The other one is The Barefoot Investor. Um, 
being able to get myself out of, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't blowing money on anything stupid, but I just wasn't really tracking my money. Being able to sort of just get my finances, no credit cards, no car loans, anything like that actually freed me up in terms of my job prospects. Uh, people, again, particularly in career changes, they get very fixated on this is what I'm currently earning, so I can't go backwards from that. It's like, well, if you made a couple of changes to your life and you could go backwards a bit, you could have that dream job. You just need to cut out. Your Pilates gym is 90 bucks a week. You're paying Spotify family. You know, you've got Netflix, Stan, Hey You, you've got 10 of these plus you've got a Foxtel account. Like if you actually just boil this down and look at that and go, there's $15,000 of post tax expenditure there. And what that translates to your salary for most people, that might be, uh, you know, 22 grand or something like that. You could take a 20 grand pay cut, cut that out of your life and you have the exact same money in your bank account left over. And that, you know, I don't see that as being sort of common. So giving that sort of um, financial freedom to yourself actually flows into your job and your career and how you value salaries. Such a good point, mate. We actually had a, um, another guest mention that type of thing too, around really being mindful of your, your own money management to be able to make the types of pivots or changes that you want to in your work and not necessarily be just focusing on the bottom dollar of your salary. Yeah. So I, again, on the case, I've never sort of, I don't think I've publicly sort of spoken about like the pay difference between coming from agency recruitment management background into this job. Um, this year, this financial year, I will earn about 50% of what I would have earned the year before. Um, but one thing I'll say is I'm probably about 300% happier. <laughs> so yeah. thanks for sharing. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, that, that's another thing I'd like to push out because I, I remember interviewing particularly men in their sort of 40s who were in this really sort of stage of their life where they weren't enjoying what they were doing, but they felt really stuck. Um, and it was the money that would often get them the most stuck because they just couldn't get out of this mindset of, I can't go backwards. It's like, well, we can. You just need to, you know, make some, make some adjustments. But um, yeah, it's... Uh, Again, a whole other sort of story, but the, looking at your sort of salary versus the actual sort of job and happiness and engagement, that sort of thing. Like you couldn't pay me that salary again to go back to, to that role or that sort of type of role. One more from me, Mitch, final one. Mm -hmm. um, from your own career, what, um, what are some career development or career progression tips you'd give to your younger self, knowing what you know now as you've navigated your career successfully for a while? I think the, you know, people who, whether it's career change or just a sort of slight adjustment, they're very focused on the immediate. So I'm an account manager and I want to be a designer, but I'm just applying for design roles. Instead of sort of using the spare time or using the time that I'm applying for design roles and actually going out and being proactive and doing courses, developing a portfolio. Um, so not being afraid to start something now that, that pays off in the longer run rather than focusing on a real immediate and obvious change. I think that's, that's sort of one thing, you know, I think I, what am I 37 now? There's probably times when I was like 28. So I'd love to do that for a job, but I don't have that experience where if I'd started doing something, I probably would be in that, you know, in that job at 29 or, or 30. 
Um, so people, yeah, I think if you get sort of stuck in that, you're looking to sort of continually um, improve. And this, I again, probably push back to the networking side of things. Um, if you've got an interest in whatever it is, it's music, then start reaching out to those people. Start going to events, start attending webinars, start sort of being familiar with them, put your hand up for, you know, volunteer, internship, whatever it is, but just get some connections, some friends, some network there now. And you'll be surprised how it will pay off in six or 12 months or two or five years. It's like an investment, mm. you know, put a hundred bucks in the bank. Now it's going to be worth a lot more in five years time. Not a hell of a lot more current sort of interest rates, but you know, um, if, if smart stock investment, you know, maybe, um, and you wish, wish you did it. And I actually think that again, to give him another plug, not that he needs it, but the barefoot investor, a compounding interest. I'm not a big math person. I didn't pay a lot of attention at school. I dropped maths for the final two years. That was one of the biggest things that sort of changed my mindset in how I looked at my super and how I looked at investment for my kids. Small initial deposit, regular sort of top up. There was one chart in that book and it's like, this is an example of someone who put five grand a year for the first 10 years or the 10 to 20. And then they stopped versus someone at 50 who put in like 50 grand and how much more money that person who started earlier had at retirement age was like hundreds of thousands of dollars difference. You know, still as the Neanderthal I am, I'm like, I don't really, that's a lot more. That should be more, but you know, I believe it. It's, it's no different to I think your career, little sort of investments, you know, they'll, they'll pay off. You want to do social media, start running some accounts, start reaching out to local cafes, brands, you know, and, and boost their, um, their profiles. So on your CV, you go, you know, I've got five years experience as a, a salesperson, but what I've been doing in my spare time is this, and this is the evidence that I've got. Like that's going to look a lot better on a CV. That's going to be a lot more to talk about in an interview rather than I'm a quick learner because I, I hate to break this to everyone, but you're all quick learners. Myself included. I used to say it. Um, it, it, it loses its value when everyone is saying it. And I think awareness of, of the cliches, awareness of people get really frustrated. It's like, I could do that job. It's like, yeah, you could, but somebody else is coming with more experience, more skills. They've done this prior. They either got the job earlier, they started their career or they put in some legwork. So you need to be aware that you've got competition. It's not a matter of when you can, could or couldn't do it. It's, it's who else is, is out there. So yeah, small, small investments, being proactive, networking, lots of little things. And, and the last one would be if you see or read anyone saying this is the one thing you need to do in order to progress in your career, stop reading immediately and unfollow them and delete them because there is no one thing. Mm. And if you <laughs> if you think there is one thing and you have it, then I want to chat to you and I want to pick it to pieces because <laughs> it doesn't work that way. This isn't, yeah, this isn't scripted. Everyone, yeah. it's all different. Yeah. Because it's subjective, isn't it? Because you're dealing with people, including in the recruitment process, including in jobs in the workplace. It's interpersonal, isn't it? Yeah. Even like recruitment is, it's okay. You're dealing with recruiters. Like we're all the same person, you know, there's a the stereotypes and people just go, okay. So when you're dealing with a recruiter, this is what you have to do. Here's the top five tips for dealing with a recruiter. It's like, I read them and go, if someone said this to me, like I might actually throw up because this, I don't buy it. 
like I don't, I don't believe that you doing this research and saying, Oh, Mitch, I saw you started your career in 2008. It's like, all right, you've done your research, but like tone it down. Um, so yeah, there's no, there's no one tip. You, you need to sort of, I think improving um, awareness of how the processes work and being able to adapt to them in situations. Because if you interview one company and they ask you one of those questions like, what animal would you be? And then you come prepared to an interview with me at Linktree ready to say, you know, a liger because there's nothing more powerful than breeding a tiger and a lion together. Like you're going to stumble when I ask you an actual question about, you know, what your drivers are or give me an example of what you did in that experience. So it's, yeah, you, people can sort of set themselves up for failure by preparing for this template that's, that's out there and, you know, experts. I just don't think anyone's an expert. Mm. I love that advice. Yeah, me too. Mitch, thank you so much for joining us on the show, mate. How can people no see your updates just quickly? Um, I guess LinkedIn is probably where they see me the most. I, yep. I gave Medium a try and I ran out of time, but I actually got an email this morning that I've just had a one cent payment come through from, from the six views I might've had the past six months. <laughs> um, so yeah, Mitch King on LinkedIn, uh, yep. working for Linktree. That'd, that'd be me, the bearded guy with two kids uh, in the photo. Um, yeah. And then if you're seeing, looking for, for jobs in, in that sort of startup space at, for Linktree, Linktree should be pretty easy to find if our SEO sort of working. Um, or, or bolster based out of Melbourne yeah, in that social content, creative music, entertainment, culture mold. That's where you sort of find me. Awesome. Mate, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me guys. It's fun. Thanks Mitch. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Arrive and Thrive podcast, please let us know by sharing it with a connection and leaving a review. We hope that through this podcast, even more people can design a career and life that they love and are proud of. See you soon.